Do you want to maybe start there and we can kind of work our way way through rather than me diving in and us sort of rewinding back to how how fine art might potentially be defined? Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, so... <clears throat> okay, so <clears throat> clear my throat, get very serious. What we do here is go back, 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 back. episode of the bros and brews podcast season three episode three our third venture into a deep dive for this new season of course uh the last episode that we did was on smoking where you investigated you know the world of uh cigarettes and and vaping and you know new zealand's relationship with with smoking all over the place um which if you've listened to we hope you found it interesting if if you haven't listened to it yet you can obviously find it in our spotify and happy podcast and google feeds all that good stuff uh and the first episode we did of this season from a topic perspective was games this week we are looking at something that we are let's be honest like less informed <laughs> about it's not something that uh is always our cup of tea it's mm-hmm. not certainly within our wheelhouse of primary passions particularly within the wide world of art and entertainment and media and culture but we're all for exploring stuff that we don't quite understand as as much as as perhaps we should or we could or we would like to uh and so this week's topic is fine art um now we'll find out later on how fine art is defined but specifically we mean artwork the kind you would think of hanging in galleries or displayed in galleries the sort of famous artists of time painting drawing watercolors uh, contemporary art all that kind of good stuff um our relationship with fine art you know how we feel about it how difficult it is to define it where do we sit on the scale of people who absolutely love going to museums and froth over the mona lisa compared to you know people that just say what's all the big fuss about um and yeah, it's something that we have, I don't know if we've ever talked about it. And today we are, we're going to break down fine art, what it means to us and try and educate ourselves and educate you, the audience, um, as best as we can. Yeah. Well, that's just it. I mean, if hopefully we learn something today and you learn something today, that is the, that is the point of these topics and, and, and why we bring them to you. It's uh, not just for you. It's actually for us as well, for us to just have a conversation about it because, yeah, as you just said, man, fine art is not something that we've kind of really, yeah, deeply explored. I mean, you know, we kind of, we've done our degrees and training and other forms of arts and, you know, you can get a Bachelor of Fine Arts um, and do all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, not really in our wheelhouse. Um, but yeah, this kind of all really like spurred on or kind of, it it was like, yeah, let's talk about that kind of thing, um, was when I was down in Wellington, um, a couple of weeks ago, I popped into Te Papa, uh, and there was a surrealist exhibition going on at Te Papa, and, um, yeah, a really good friend, um, SJ, uh, who was obviously a a collaborator in, in, in this podcast endeavor with us, and, um, yeah, me, me and her, went together and and went went through the exhibition and 
the surrealist exhibition was basically looking at uh so su- you know surrealist um as an art form and when it first came to in paris in 1924 so yeah surrealist or you know that kind of expression of art um yeah came about in the 20s and it was all about being really playful and provocative and and very and very shocking um for a lot of people and especially at that time and the artists at that time it was a it was a revolution it was a it was a revolutionary um time for them to kind of push outside of the box on what uh fine art was and at that period of time and um yeah the exhibition explores you know paintings photography books sculptures um and even film work as well um because yeah film film work in itself can be classified as as fine art um and yeah i mean the the really big kind of headliner for the whole exhibition was um salvador dali and um there was a a lot of his work um scattered throughout the the whole thing and um along with um uh rene margariti marcel de camp uh leonora carrington man ray and a whole bunch of other big pivotal moments um with with surrealist uh and surrealism and the exhibition itself kind of explores surrealism um dadaism as well um if you've if you've ever heard of that before i remember me and james first heard of of data as what i think at least i did i first heard of dadaism uh when we were both uh at uni at victoria university and in one of our um one of our courses it was drama teachers of the west stay eh? yeah that's the one yeah drama teachers of james mckinnon dramaturgies of the west um and yeah we we came across this form called dadaism and dadaism is renowned for not being anything it's not really meant to represent anything it is it is it is it is art in its most chaotic form and that's why it kind of got bred from surrealism uh, as a as a thing. So as you as you're going through the exhibition, you get surrealism, dataism, uh, expressionism uh, was a form that came around at that same time. And yeah, this whole exhibition kind of spans from yeah 1920s to about 1960s um, through Paris and Netherlands and Germany and all through Europe and and what they were getting up to and stuff. And um, yeah, I got to say, look, as an experience with with art in itself obviously this you know as we talk about fine art you, that's where you find most of it is in museums is in portrait galleries and, and things as, as james said off the top so um it was really cool experiencing the, you know surrealist art in, in that kind of form and i gotta say one thing i really enjoyed about going through this in, in a tapapa situation is that there weren't a lot of kids because it's it was a surrealist exhibition so i feel like for a lot of families and things it's like oh why would i take my kid to that kind of thing it kind of goes above their heads a little bit at least that was my understanding because there weren't i mean there were children going through but barely anything compared to the rest of Te Papa itself so it was kind of nice in that sense of i could walk around and i i wasn't bumping into people all over the place obviously it was a paid ex- exhibition you had to pay to go into it so it was another factor on why they might not it's not packed um but yeah just that experience in itself it really gave me and sj enough time to walk around and really take in uh, every piece and everything like that didn't feel rushed because I guess that's the one things that 
as we'll come to learn and talk about fine art as we, we go through is you've really got to take time to kind of stand there and appreciate it and look at it um, with, you know, through a microscope almost because um, there's a lot going on. And especially in the surrealist, Salvador Dali, uh, some of his things are amazing. And I'll, my, I'll say my favorite piece. It's obviously, it doesn't give it justice because I, you, the listener, can't see it. Um, but it's one of his pieces and it's called The Couple with Their Head in the Clouds. And it's a beautiful piece of two frames um, from the outline of a man and a woman. The frames themselves are the outline of a man and a woman almost huddled together, but they're their own separate frames. And the painting inside the frames is of like this desolate land with a city in the far background, a table with some tablecloths and a cup. And um, throughout the composition of the whole picture, um, the couples, their heads um, are painted with, and they're in the clouds. And it's a, it's a beautiful piece. And the more and more you look at it, the more and more you wonder, you know, are these couple, are they in the same place? You know, why are they in their own frames and distance? And you really, I've really tried to break down the meaning behind the painting and what it is. And that's the thing I love about the Surrealist exhibition is that it's so playful and provocative that it can, it really can be read in any way or whatever way you want it to be. And that is one of the beauties of, of fine art, which we're, we're kind of going to get a, get, get a, get into now. Um, but I will say one one last highlight and one beautiful thing that I really found and I haven't really experienced in any sort of exhibition or art form before was in one of the rooms going through the exhibition, uh, there was a station in the middle where like, like you know, uh, it was like a desks and, and pencils and pen, pens and all of that kind of just lying around. And the objective was for you to get a pen and pencil, paper, and write down a dream. Uh, that you had had and they had all of these drawers of different kinds of topics of like food or monsters or night and dark fun happy all of these different types of categories and you were to write down your dream find where you think that categorized put it in the drawer in the filing cabinet um, and leave it there for other people to read so there was just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people's dreams in the middle of this room where you could just open up and rummage through and read people's dreams, which I thought was a really beautiful piece of art in itself because you could interact with it and appreciate other people's um, perspectives and nightmares and fun dreams and things. And yeah, uh, it was it was very much a, a highlight. SJ wrote down a dream and I actually spent most of the time just reading other people's dreams. Um, some of them quite sad uh, and uh, a lot of them quite happy as well. But that's, I know that that kind of exhibition, um, that kind of dream like scape was a lot of inspiration for this, for people's art and the surrealist art, because it's the kind of dreams are the rawest form of kind of subconscious messaging and, and things like that so um yeah that was definitely a highlight for me in the exhibition and and the kind of ex- what i got to experience on a on a fine art uh and adventure yeah i mean clearly the exhibition was impactful for you because yeah. you you came away from it instantly and messaged me and said i've been to this exhibition i'd really like to talk about fine art now unfortunately i didn't i haven't been to the exhibition yet 
I wanted to go before the podcast uh, mitigating circumstances that weren't down to me being lazy. <laughs> have meant that it didn't happen. But this is also an episode about fine art generally, and perhaps if I'd been, maybe we would have spoken too much about mm. that exhibition mm. in, its, in itself. And yep. hearing your perspective on it maybe will inform the way that I engage with the exhibition when I go and see it in a way mm. that would be different if I hadn't heard you speak about it beforehand. So I think that's just as valuable. Um, what I have to bring to the table this week is some random sort of YouTube videos about processing art. And I guess from an educational perspective of if you're someone that doesn't really understand what you're looking for, why artwork has changed throughout history. Um, interestingly, I never took art history. It was available at uh, mm. secondary school uh, where I went to school and I, I prioritized classics over that. Now, obviously within classics, there's a certain amount of art history involved. Uh, the old, the old ancient Greek vases, uh, red style, <laughs> black style, uh, you know, looking at elements of art within ancient Greece and ancient Rome is, is very, you know, clear part of the trajectory of, of fine art throughout history. Uh, but yeah, I never took art history. I don't know why. My, my mm. sister did it through a school and through university. And I'm interested in art, but it just never quite grabbed me as being something that I wanted to become really, really educated about. Yeah, and yeah. now I think maybe I do want to be educated about it, but I'm not sure I want to sit in a classroom mm. and be told how I'm meant to process. Um, but what I do like about some people on YouTube is there are some people who can condense into seven minutes a really quick uh, dialogue on why this art form came about or how you're meant to process this artist specifically so uh yeah that that's what i kind of have to bring to the table but do you want to i i know you said before we came on air that you had looked at what the definition of fine art is do you want to maybe start there and we can kind of work our way way through rather than me diving in and us sort of rewinding back to how how fine art might potentially be defined yeah 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 of course yeah so <clears throat> clear my throat get very serious um fine art in itself like from a from a kind of traditional like european academic kind of standard on what fine art has been through tradition um fine art basically focuses on aesthetic and beauty um it it basically fine art like denounces art um of practical use so they call that more decorative art or applied art. So you know how you're just talking about Roman vases? Yeah. That's not fine art. That would be considered applied art because a vase has a purpose. It is to hold flowers or other objects and things like that. So therefore it is decorative applied art. It's not commonly, traditionally known as fine art itself. Fine art has only been created for aesthetic and beauty purpose sense. To be appreciated, I know, right? I know, but that to be uh, just appreciated in in that sense, there's no common practical use for it at all, apart to just kind of look at it and appreciate it. That is the basic, watered down traditional view of what fine art is. Hmm. I didn't know that, Um, and something that maybe you don't know. Uh, I guess about me is that in my first year of university, I studied a 
uh, it was a media paper actually called, uh, no, no, it wasn't. I take the back. It was a philosophy paper mm-hmm. about art, philosophy of the art. And four weeks, one of the, th- the three modules was about art and trying to define what art is and mm. is art subjective or is some art objective as art, how the, uh, artist defines it, or is it about how the audience defines it? And as is the case with philosophy, you know, you never really find an answer because everyone has a different answer. That's sort of the point. But there were some really interesting discussions about, you know, if you're an artist and you create a work once it's finished and given to the public, do you release all creative control of that work? You know, is it, is it given Mm. to the public for them to interpret and your intention as an artist no longer becomes relevant? You know, there's a, uh, people have different opinions on that. You know, does the artist's intention and what they were feeling and why they created it matter? Should we do the research and understand why an artist made the art in the way that they did? Or yeah. does that no longer become a part of it? That is simply why the artwork was created. And all that matters is how you, random person standing in a museum looking at the artwork, uh, how you feel. Yeah, It was an interesting university course. I actually really enjoyed that module. And in particular, we spent some time looking at street art. And I won't spend oh, yeah. a lot of time on this because... I would argue that street art is not fine art, but the difference between where's the line between graffiti and street art and looking at site specific artwork, artwork that is only functional in the space it is created. Banksy being perhaps the greatest example of site specific artwork that all his artwork only exists in the specific space where it is created. If you were to cut it out and put it in a museum as has been done before, I think, um, it loses it its whole purpose. Whereas fine art seems to be down the other end, that it's not site-specific. It is sort of simply beautiful in its own right. And it could be, uh, its beauty could be enjoyed whether it's hung up in your bedroom or it's hung up in the Louvre for thousands of people to enjoy every day. But aesthetic and beauty is is all that matters. And, and in some ways, I think maybe that is quite an old-fashioned way of thinking and mm. regardless mm. of the style of artwork itself, uh, the way that people have come to engage with artwork has changed. Yep, you know, totally. compared to people in the fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth century, just throwing out some some timelines there. Centuries. You know, the way that we relate to artwork now uh, as a general populace, as humanity, has changed, which maybe contributes to why people in the twenty first century aren't quite sure with how to engage with, you know, classical artwork mm. or even, you know, abstract artwork, like someone like Picasso, because we don't understand, you know, we're much more uh, down the line of, I think, surrealism and contemporary artwork. I think yeah, for the for most sure. part, people uh, in the 21st century are most likely to go to contemporary artworks and enjoy contemporary artworks because you know, if you go into a room and there's so many mirrors that you can see yourself a thousand times, we are very easily pleased in that way, <laughs> in a different way uh, than you would be if you go to a museum and you stand in front of a painting that's 30 centimetres by 30 centimetres that beautifully depicts somewhere in Italy. You know, mm. I think the mm. way that uh, media and art has changed in its consumption in the 21st century maybe makes consuming fine art in the traditional sense way more difficult and maybe that's why less and less people uh, are in th- 
I don't want to say are enthused by art, but maybe we don't get it quite as, as much. And that's the whole point of us, you know, coming on today and trying to unpick why, uh, fine art is the way it is and why we feel a certain way about it, I guess. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, yeah, you pretty much said like, I mean, that's, it's the classical sense of fine art, right? It's the, it is, it's that traditional thinking of, of, of painting on a canvas, and it being a very beautiful painting. For example, as you said before, the Mona Lisa is probably one of the most well-known, recognised piece of artwork in the world, and I believe it's actually the most expensive, uh, like the most uh, insured and valued pieces of artwork in the world due to inflation, actually. I think back in the 60s, it was insured for about $100 million US dollars, equivalent 100 us um and now because of inflation it's probably worth i think it's worth around 830 million dollars now yeah that's yeah crazy um but i mean other creations like um the creation of adam on the sistine chapel on the roof um the the scream uh the starry night and the birth of venus just a just a few few big kind of you know if you Hopefully you should know a few of those at least. I mean, I know I did. I know mo- all of them. So I'm, I'm, I'm well adversed in fine art, as you can see. You see. know your stuff, man. You're I just, know my stuff. I know you're my stuff. You're just exuding yeah, paint yeah, coming yeah, out of your yeah, pores. Yeah. Um, I think a good place to, to enter a discussion about fine art is the degree of perceived difficulty. Mm. Like if you can mm. look at an artwork and go, wow, that's incredible in terms of the detail that is that is the easiest way of people to appreciate artwork the Sistine yeah. Chapel being an example how oh. the hell did you paint the roof <laughs> you know from a difficulty perspective it's a tent. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and I think traditionally for me uh, fine art that I've been impressed with has been artwork where I've gone wow the level of detail is amazing or the way that they've recreated the human form is amazing or the way that they have captured a, a space of nature in such uh, specific detail is amazing mm. I've always found that artwork really easy to appreciate because it is the and I should also preface I didn't do art history I don't know if I'm using the right words so you know, if I say classical when classical actually means something else yeah. uh, forgive me but I think that was sort of the the classical purpose of fine art was to recreate the human form or the world as accurately as possible mm. on a 2D canvas whether it be through paint or watercolour or charcoal or pencil um, I think paint will often be the medium referred to because it yeah. seems it feels like the most common um but those sorts of artworks you know if you look at something from the mid 1600s and you go wow they've captured humanity in great detail uh that's easy to appreciate whereas if something doesn't feel as and i'm using quotations here skillful <laughs> yeah. in the sense that you look at something and go oh well, i could do that it's the appreciation of the artwork becomes more abstract and emotional rather than a, a sense of skill. Technical, and I think, yeah. yeah technical. Yeah. I think that is where art has certainly moved into from the 1900s onwards and towards the surrealism and the futurism yep. and the cubism and the, the abstract works that we struggle to comprehend why they are uh, impactful 
if they aren't recreating the world uh, in a technical level. And so I think I've always been one of those people where if it seems technically beautiful and the detail at which they have captured uh, humanity, I, I see on Reddit all the time people that do these incredible drawings and paintings of of characters and they just look like photographs. I don't know how yeah. they do it. We're, we're more adept at processing art that replicates life than art that is an abstract representation of life. Yeah. Yeah, that make that that makes so much sense because and I think it's I mean it's it's like you alluded to earlier it's all on the um the eye of the beholder right I mean like me personally I would way rather go to a surrealist exhibition you know something that's more contemporary than classical uh, because yeah I, I I am in it for more of the emotional kind of uh brain twisting turmoil of actually trying to figure out what is in front of me rather than going to a picture and being like yes that is a woman sitting in a chair looks very good very well done i've seen those in real life yes and i i think that is is very well executed but for me it's like yeah well you you're not i don't know it's not challenging me and not all art it does have to be challenging at all you and as you said i think you're totally right from a point of stand view on what fine art is and in, in that technical sense that makes that that totally on the on the head but for me that's 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 not the kind of art that i want to appreciate mostly at least and I think that's, as you were saying, where fine art is kind of curved around the bend now and where we are now. One of the three uh, interesting YouTube videos that I watched that <laughs> I, I wanted to go into, I think this is an appropriate time, was uh, a video by someone I think I've shouted out on the podcast before. It's a guy called Nerd Writer who does amazing videos breaking down artwork and film and actors and speech writing and he specifically breaks down this painting called The Death of Socrates by Jacques-Louis David, uh, should you want to, to bring it up and might be helpful to you. Or you, this is something we should also say to you, the listener, if you have Wi-Fi or data, bring these pictures up so you can you can tell what we're speaking about. Uh, the Death of Socrates, painted in 1787. Um, and this is a, I think, a neoclassical artwork, certainly before the time of uh, abstract styles of artwork. So it depicts a number of figures in the historical moment of the death of Socrates, uh, the philosopher. So it's based on a real moment in history. Uh, and the video itself is was simply seven minutes of trying to explain what you're looking at, you know, rather than just, oh, these are people, they look like people, this is good artwork. It was trying to explain in layman's terms what's going on. And a key uh, thing that I've come to understand, even just today, is that uh, light is so important mm. in artwork. Mm. The recreation of light uh, on a 2D canvas is one of the most difficult things to do. And how that light sits on people's faces and the angles that it creates and the way that it affects the tableau and the mood light is one of the most important things to appreciate with artwork and that has certainly been something that to me when i realized that today i went oh if i went into a museum and just look at artworks through the lens of trying to understand the way that the the varying artists have played with creating light 
what more could you need? You know, that's, that is something that could be an in. Um, but with this painting specifically, the kind of muscularity and the anatomy of the, the figures is very neoclassical. You know, the artists attempt to capture the human body. Uh, but there's, there's more beneath the, the surface if you come to understand what the artist has specifically uh, gone for. And this is, you know, me just regurgitating what this person has has said based on this artist's work and similar work that the principled people i.e the characters in the painting that are deemed to be uh people of principles have an angular geometry so socrates is the figure in the middle he's about to be put to death uh drinking hemlock from the chalice his body position uh is is the angles on his body are very strong whereas the characters on the right who are people of passion are sort of shown in kind of curve like their geometry is not angular and diagonal and that's just something that i would have never looked at a painting and gone oh yes those people have strong angles these people have soft (laughs) angles this is the artist saying something but as soon as you mention it and your eyes open to it you go oh yeah that's clearly a specific decision that's uh been made within this painting there's also uh, a sense of being side to side so reading the action you can read it from sort of left to right or right to left but there's a narrative which you're exploring it's not everything happening simultaneously look up top left look at the top right there's there's sort of a a side to side narrative with how you uh, look at the events that are being told and in that vein the last thing to to speak about um there's sort of an imagined figure within this story the the guy that's sitting down at the base of the bed uh is plato and plato was a philosopher who sort of spoke a lot about what socrates said so plato was just a boy when socrates was sort of alive and so he wasn't at the death of socrates he wasn't even the age that he's portrayed in this artwork at the age that which Socrates was was killed. And when you realize that, and you realize that that character couldn't have been there, you, you come to understand that this isn't a pure painting based on history. It's, it's saying something more. And the suggestion of Nerdwriter is that with Plato facing away from the action, if you read it left to right, there's this idea that it's actually Plato's memory of the death of Socrates and everything happening on the right two thirds of the artwork is, is how it was imagined in Plato's brain. And then you see that in the artwork, there's a flat wall behind everything that is imagined. And there's the depth of space behind Plato to show that that's actually a different kind of period of time. My brain was like, Whoa, this is (laughs) insane. Like this is, this is there's so much more depth going on from a historical standpoint um from an imagined timelines standpoint from a Mm. fusing of different philosophers standpoint and i was like wow this is like a whole story within what seems to be 2d where from you know if i just walked into a museum and seen this painting i would have gone cool the anatomy is great they seem really humanistic there's a clear drama of what's going on even if i knew that it was the death of Socrates from mm. the title of the painting. You never would have known all that stuff. No, and just goes no. to show that if you if you spend some time examining the artist and what's going on, all of a sudden you're more informed. And from being more informed, you are given the opportunity to understand greater depth of something that 
on the surface while quite literal you know it's not abstract you can see people in the frame it becomes something way way more and so that that blew my mind a little bit wow that 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 blows my mind i uh I gotta say, I uh, I played along. I, I pulled up the photo of the, the death of Socrates as you were explaining all of that, and yeah, I that's amazing when you when you really get into that depth of it. Um, it almost makes me take my take my words back a little bit on uh, how I feel like I can't appreciate this kind of work as much as uh, <laughs> contemporary stuff. But yeah, that that's amazing. And yeah, you're you're so right. And I think the yeah the fine art the the technical aspect of these these intricacies that you you kind of just take for granted i guess you know like these are these are photos these are uh, photos in an imaginary uh artistic view um and yeah i can totally get how you really need to endow it with as much natural <laughs> figure as you possibly can like you said the lighting um, the anatomy, um, but just the story being told on first glance, you you can't really see that unless you you really look for it. Um, that's that's amazing. Uh, thank you. That's that's really cool. That has opened all, my eyes. All credit to nerd, to nerd writer and people nice. that like him. You know, there's another great series on YouTube called Great Art Explained, mm-hmm. and I absolutely just wanted to go and watch all of those. Um, another painting that I. I won't go to into quite as much depth, but the, the the YouTube video was just called "How to Understand Picasso," and I was like, "Cool, Picasso is whack. What have we got going on?" Uh, <laughs> so the specific painting is called "Night Fishing at Antibes." It's about A N T I B E S. So 1939, like a long time uh, after the death of Socrates, and you can see that it's just completely, completely different. Uh, night fishing at Antibes, uh, and the five steps that Nerdwriter goes through to explain how to react to Picasso is first is just your instant reaction. Like what can you kind of see? What are some objects that you maybe real uh, recognize actions? You can sort of see some human figures. You can sort of see a fish from the title. You can see that there's sort of night fishing and maybe there's a moon or some lights, but just immediately what can you tell is happening? The second step is just context. What can you breakdown what is literally there from a second uh closer look what are objects that you can recognize and actions that are being done so from something that's abstract how much can you recognize and then the third thing is form so you know this is cubist cubism um you know it's very flat canvas there's lots of geometric shapes uh and it's not it's all seems on first glance distorted but as Nerdwriter was saying it's not it's not distorted this is just the way they are in this world you know they're not they're not like the death of Socrates and they've gone from this human form to this less human form this is just the world that Picasso sees uh, and then going into step four which is like historical context you know what was going on at the time 1939 just before World War Two, Europe's in shambles it would feel like you know, artwork should be slightly more scrambled and chaotic. You know, is that just the energy that the artist uh, receives from the historical context of what's going on? And then the last thing is personal context. You know, do we know anything from Picasso's life of what was going on that makes him feel the way uh, of what he's put on the canvas? And that's a completely different way of engaging with art in a completely different 
period of time, you know, the 1930s versus the, the 1780s, you know, completely different ends of the spectrum in terms of what you see, but in some ways the process is similar. You're trying to break down what is going on, what do you not see visually, what is implied, you know, to compare it to theatre, you know, that subtext stuff that is always mm. way more important than what's going on the stage. True, the relationships true. between the characters is exactly the same thing. What is implied based on what was happening when the art was made and how does that work in conjunction with what we can literally see? So even though it's, you know, I don't enjoy Picasso's work as much as, say, uh, David's work, I can still understand how you could, you know, if I had to stand in front of a Picasso at a museum, I could go, cool, what can I see? What was going on at the time? Uh, how will I process this? And ultimately, mm. that's my goal, to get better at understanding artwork, even if I don't like it that much True. you know yeah yeah well that well yeah that's just it i mean you've got to appreciate art for art for art's sake right i mean you know like i don't know there's just so there's so much goes into it and i think like you said it's understanding from the artist's point of view as well it's like why this why this painting um or why this piece of work um which i think is very um a, a provocative thought in itself um, but yeah, looking at that, the, the night fishing, the piece that you just, um, I've actually not seen this piece before, or at least dived into it as much. Um, I can so get it, eh? See two guys doing some fishing, there's two women by the side, maybe they're like, are they catcalling the two guys, potentially? Or are they partners? Or just they're kind of, they biked by, she's got a bike, it's interesting it's cool it, it, it is it is interesting when you break it down it's about well what can you see like and then from there kind of uh and it's a what could be going on rather mm. than what can we clearly see is going on yeah and is that more interesting yeah, yeah, yeah from yeah. uh engaging you mentally and emotionally to have to try and figure out rather than simply being told now even though yeah. we've just said you know neoclassical art even if it seems very literal, there can be depth and surface that mm. you don't understand or you mm. have to figure out. But clearly, with something like a Picasso, you have to really, really work. And then it goes even further than that. Like a, another example is Jackson Pollock, who I think yeah. is quite often taught within secondary school art because it seems so abstract. You know, just paint, uh, it's just paint splashes on just a canvas and it can be beautifully colourful, but what can it possibly mean? And that is so far down the... Uh, path of impressionism which mm. as best i can understand uh is was when artists were coming in and deciding to not focus on objects in the world but how light plays off those objects which is why yeah. things became less real and more i guess uh imagined and, and impressionistic and that ends up all the way you know down in the jackson pollock end of the world and futurism and how does this this paint make you feel uh and a story that i shared with you i don't know if it was on the podcast or off the podcast and this is one of my great sort of art moments was doing this play uh, and do let me know if this was on the podcast because i'll cut the story short but having done a monologue from a play called red by john logan which is about uh rothko who is an artist that famously painted just in red and black these big massive squares of of red and black on massive massive canvases um, having studied and seen this play about Rothko and tried to understand what the characters were speaking about and his artworks as they were created on stage and on the page, uh, I then had an experience where I was at the Tate Modern in London and kind of turned a corner 
and all of a sudden 10 12 15 of his works were just there in front of me specifically this one room and i was just taken aback and <laughs> having understood some of the character mm. rothko that mm. was portrayed in the play his struggles and the way that he viewed art and the way that he felt lots of people weren't good enough to view his artwork like really problematic person but having been informed about the person who'd created it going into that room and seeing all these abstract paintings that are just red and white painted on canvases i was so uh affected by it and taken I felt, aback yeah i was so taken aback and i was like those are so beautiful and they're all completely different but they're using the same two colors and that's all he uses to make his artwork and so mm. i think sometimes the abstract artwork can be more impactful because you do so much more of the work yourself yeah and you have to interpret uh and i think through interpretation we maybe associate artwork with things from our own lives more mm. than uh artwork that is more specific that and we feel less attached i can't really feel attached to a painting that depicts i don't know sicily in the 1500s i've never been to sicily i'm sure the world was different then but you know if something's really abstract maybe it affects me way way more because i have to endow it with meaning yeah, yeah 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 that's uh yeah that's cool that's a that's an amazing feeling well it's right it's it's the thing with you know the expressionism and surrealism and all that kind of thing it, it is that narrative right it's that narrative build you do get to create your own narrative um and yeah i guess for some people you know if you kind of don't have that uh mind or world of of framing or looking at it like that then it can be you know uh harder to understand or appreciate as a form whereas if you 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 like the clinical and technical and that kind of thing um so yeah i i mean i think that the the fascinating thing that i find now in the sense of fine art interesting is that it's become more about how this art came to be in the sense of like how it was done like you know it's not just a um it's not just a paintbrush it's not just paint and a brush anymore it is it's a, you know pollock potentially in the sense of like flicking it you know or throwing it on you see a lot of like that let's say, say for instance tiktok art does a lot of the they do the drill you know the drill bit and they use gravity and force to for it to start painting and this kind of idea of like chance um and kind of you know luck on what the painting ends up coming out to be kind of thing it, it there's there's a lot of uh, you know and that's more of a kind of like you know amateur form of it it'd be interesting for me now to kind of get out there and kind of appreciate like you know real contemporary 2021 kind of fine art what that would really look like um but from a from a traditional point of view it has it has changed many a times many a times over the 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 centuries and the decades um and it is it is it is fascinating because i think it is completely all up in to interpretation unless like you said you are painting a town in sicily then you have painted a town in sicily um and good for you if it's a beautiful recreation of said town in sicily (laughs) exactly exactly and that's and that is just it i think art can be appreciated in in all in all of its forms i did have one one last tidbit from my end Mm -hmm. on 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 the fine art aspect of it because look the reality is it's expensive like 
traditional, classic, modern, contemporary, famous pieces of art are expensive. Um, and it's just, it's just, it's, it's funny, but you know, something that is just purely created for beauty and aesthetics to be put on a wall in a museum or put on display. It's crazy. It's so expensive. And uh, in November November fifteenth, two thousand and seventeen, um, the most expensive uh, auction um, of a piece of a painting, an item, uh, was sold. Um, it sold for four hundred and fifty point three million US dollars, um, and that painting was Salvador Mundi, uh, which is uh, Leonardo da Vinci's painting of Jesus Christ. Um, oh. Yeah, uh, it is a very simple portrait um, of his and in, his interpretation of of Jesus Christ. It's just a, as you would picture, a portrait like photo. Yeah. Um, with Jesus kind of holding up one of his hands. Um, I don't know what you kind of call that gesture, to be honest. Um, but yeah, uh, the the meaning of the of the the photo is savior of the world is what it in um in translate to and that's leonardo da vinci's uh painting of jesus christ that sold for 450 million us dollars just an outrageous outrageous amount and something we haven't talked about at all is i have no fine art skills actually i take that back i'm quite <laughs> good at drawing with pencil mm-hmm. freehand if yep. i have enough time yeah but paint any of those kinds of mediums, I'm just not good at. So fundamentally, I come at this with a great respect for anyone who has any artistic oh, skill. Same. But Absolute I think it's same. also possible to think that that's an outrageous amount of money for an artwork. Because <laughs> yeah. well, it is an outrageous amount of artwork. I mean, the thing is, is that you are paying for Leonardo da Vinci, right? You know? And that, I guess that's the thing with the with a lot of these pieces. It's the name that's attached to them as well. Um, that kind of is just steeped in uh, so much history and culture uh, that it just adds so much more value to it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I'm the same. And, and speaking to to your fine art, uh, I, I'm the same. I like to think that I'm a good doodler, and if I put more time into it, I really could create my own style um of or at least like you know how i would like to to draw but uh yeah i i'm i am not well, i think we'll leave that down to sj uh mm. sj is definitely oh the, she uh, takes care of us she oh, blows definitely. us away all the time yeah. all we the should time say that whenever sj comes up with an artwork every single time matt and i've had nothing to do with it we haven't given her any creative prompts it's purely her and what she does with only i guess the inspiration from us saying hey, this week we're doing an episode on smoking, or this week it's an episode on sports. What she comes up with it will never, never mm. cease to amaze me, what she yeah. does. No, and yeah, as uh, for as long as I've known SJ over the many years, she has been painting that whole time. Um, and she has painted me a few things over the years, and I do treasure treasure that work and, and experiences that I've done. I remember one time we were just huddled in her room one time in the flat, and we were just she was painting and I was trying to draw, not doing very well. Um, but yeah, uh, and the the forms and different types of art and things that um, she gets up to is uh, amazing. So yeah, if you don't follow her already. Uh, Sarah Jane's Arts uh, on Instagram and you can go check out the rest of, of everything she has to offer uh, because it is amazing 
uh, it's great and and a small a small spectrum of you know what uh you know an, an amateur and in, in fine arts can uh create yeah especially things it's not her no it's not her profession profession yeah. she's not a professional yeah. and yet what she does is is incredible um one question I want to ask you before we sign off is, are there any artists that you have always really liked that you just want to give a little shout out, you know, just to give the audience a sense of the kind of artwork that you are, I guess, often interested in? I have a, have a couple that I'm, I'm going to shout out in some sense, but any, any artists that you, you're, uh, you're great friends of? <laughs> well, look, to be honest, the, the main, the, the kind of biggest coincidence that I had with coming down to Wellington and realizing that there was a surrealist exhibition going on, um, was the fact that I got to see Salvador Dali's work and it is Salvador Dali that I would probably say that I've been the most interested in, uh, throughout my arting experience and, and things that I've caught. Um, and I realized that during uni as well, when we, when we did dramaturgies of the West, and going through all those different dramaturgies and and periods of, of artistic uh, revolution and new realities, um, it was that kind of yeah surrealist uh, period that I thought of. It just it was just so random and so up for interpretation. But the amount of like the amount of story that can be shoved into one painting and one framework um of art was uh amazing there was one point in the exhibition where there was eight pieces of his in this kind of circular form and just going from one piece to the other you could see the you know the similar kind of motifs that he would throw in one of his paintings um he actually had his hand impression and you could see um, his um, like fingertips and his um, what do you call it? The handprints, like his his prints. You could see his prints on the painting itself. Um, so yeah, that was a that was a really cool experience for me because Salvador Dali is probably one person that I've probably yeah appreciated the most in its art form. And saying that another historical kind of just and all of his kind of conceptual just everything would also be Leonardo da Vinci as well mm. well he's one of the it's, big wigs it's Leo exactly he, he's he's one of the one of the big boys for a reason the big um, a couple of mine that I want to quickly shout out uh, I've always been a big fan of Mondrian's work Mondrian and of course play along at home uh, is the is the artist who just all of his work is, is beautifully tight squares of yellow and blue and red and white. And just, I've always found something really satisfying about his works. I don't think they're trying to do too much. I really understand <laughs> what his form is and just the varying geometric versions of the same kind of idea. I've always found very satisfying. Mm. Um, another, another person for me is just, uh, Van Van Gogh, Van Gogh, whose last name is not pronounced Van Gogh, as I learned on a QI episode back in the day. I think it's pronounced Van Gogh. Um, but yeah, Starry Night, just an absolute classic. One of the yeah. few uh, paintings that I remember recreating at school. I think it's still at Mum Dad's house somewhere. Uh, but I I must say I had a sort of 
I don't want to say spiritual experience, but I, I had an experience <laughs> with Starry Night uh, over the last few years where there was where there was an, an evening that I, I won't go into specifics, but I had a real appreciation and awakening moment of Starry Night. Uh, and we should say, of course, the the exhibition of his work has kind of been going around New Zealand recently, so I know yeah, lots true, of people have appreciated true. it. But my uh, artist that I want to shout out last is a, an artist who's currently living who does something completely different. Her name is Kira Rathbone, and she's a British artist who creates all her works simply using a typewriter. Wow. And so if you go on her website, you'll, you, you know, you can see uh, copies of artwork that you can buy. I bought one of her artworks for mum's birthday. Um, and just all of the visions and images that she creates is purely from using a typewriter and using the lettering of a typewriter to create texture and layers. It's really hard to explain but if you go on Kara Rathbone's website, you can see the amazing pictures that she creates just from using um, the letters on a typewriter. And you really kind of need to zoom in to, to actually see what you're looking at. Um, but yeah, I wanted to, wanted to just shout her out because I think it's important to recognize that fine art is still being created. It's not a thing yes. of the past. There no. is still fine art uh, in the 21st century, even though traditionally we kind of associate it with times gone by um but yeah Kara Rathbone fantastic kind of new concept of art that I'd never come across before I know about people using paint I know about people using charcoal etc etc but I never come across an artist whose form and medium is using a typewriter to create visual imagery um yeah those are those are the three that I wanted to tuck in before we sign off for the episode nice that's cool that's cool um yeah, we, yeah. Well, as you said, we come to the end of of, of, of fine art of uh, season three, uh, episode three. Uh, have we defined what fine art is? I guess in a big roundabout way, uh, yes. It's 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 really, oh, I, I don't, it's art that's up for interpretation. It's art that's technical and can be appreciated on a on that kind of technical of value and and things like that. It's 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 forever changing and i think that's the beautiful thing about art and just humanity in itself i guess it is forever changing and it's you know uh like was it wrath wrathbone sorry yeah kira wrathbone wrathbone like wrathbone coming up with different sources of creating your art i think is the really next kind of big step in, in fine art and, and finding its new revolution personally it's um it's yeah what's what's next what's gonna what's gonna blow our minds next um so yeah i think um i mean i've definitely learned a thing or two in the sense of uh appreciating classical uh pieces a little bit more and looking at it a little bit and, and diving in deeper to what i what maybe not might not be on the surface from a technical level um but there will never be anything stopping me from looking at a blob on a on a white canvas and being like yeah you go blob what is the blob saying to you you know how does it yeah. make you feel How's, yeah exactly yeah like a blob Mm, you could be mm. that blob no i've definitely learned some stuff today if nothing nothing else you know the first thing was your your definition of fine art that i didn't i didn't really understand and if if you take nothing away from today take that away uh i've really enjoyed talking about something that we don't really understand yeah 
and I feel more informed coming out of it. And you know, if you gave me a museum ticket right now and you said, "Toddle on down, go and look at some art," I absolutely would. And I think that is part of the reason why people don't engage with fine art. I mean, for one thing, there's a cost a lot of the time for museums, but you know, going to the movies costs, going to a concert costs. That's not the singular reason why people don't engage with fine art that much. Um, But yeah, actually becoming more informed makes me more motivated to go and then engage with the thing which mm-hmm. I think is, is beautiful. And the whole reason why we do this show, right, to have discussions about topics that we do and don't understand uh, within depth to motivate us to go out and, and talk about it more with other people and engage with it. So, you know, whether we find time to go and see a museum when I'm in Auckland, I don't know. But I look forward to whenever <laughs> the time is that we can go through and check out some art together and turn to each other and say, what do you think about this one? What do you think of that? What and you, you can turn to blog? me and be like, it's not great, is it? And we say, yep, that's fine. Move on to the next <laughs> On to the next. <laughs> hard, hard. So no, thank you. Thank you very much for this week. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to the listeners for checking in. Uh, we don't know what the next deep dive topic will will be, um, but we hope you've enjoyed our, our deep insight on a very artistic level into fine art. Um, let us know. Let us know if you've been to the Surrealist Art Exhibition, what you thought of it, if there are any fantastic artists that you love from history that we didn't shout out, um, where we we love to hear what you think about these topics, particularly the ones that we're like, oh, we don't know. What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah. um, so thank you for listening and, and staying on with Journey of Season 3. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. We hope you continue to enjoy episodes to come. Uh, and Matt, I guess uh, all that's left to be said from this week as we'll see you next time. Peace!